reminder, uh, last week we began our series. We began by looking at sin. The origin of sin is during the what? fall and the effect of that. Okay, uh, That was more theological. Today I actually want to look uh, today and also next week is actually the terms the Bible used for sin. So I think this week we'll look at the Old Testament terms. And actually the Old Testament has a lot. Next week we'll look at the Old Testament. And maybe uh, the week after that is New Testament, depending on how much I get to today. Okay. Um, because I think uh, the more we see the root word, I actually think uh, one of the things I really uh, enjoyed the last few days looking at the word sin was it actually made me think about, wow, there's, if you look at the word in its original meaning, it actually helps us to even build analogies for people to understand that even today, okay? Just because of knowing the word, uh, the word uh, for sin, okay? So we're going to be looking at that, uh, and then hopefully after looking at the word study, I actually want to look at even a theme in the Old Testament where it teaches about um, the hardening of hearts, and in its original context, and even the idea that God judges us sometimes by making us like our very own idol, uh, the idol that we adore, which I think is a pretty big theme. And then later on, we'll eventually evolve that down, we'll head towards grace, unless there's more things that I'm discovering as I'm looking at sin. Okay, um, So today, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament terms for sin. Okay, Old Testament terms for sin. How are you doing, Ben W.? Uh, good to see you online. Okay. Um, so we're going to see a look at the term Old Testament words for sin, okay? How many uh, of you guys looking at the outlines? How many Old Testament words will we be looking at tonight? Three. Three, okay? We're going to be looking at various verses, all from the Old Testament. And they're all verbs. Yeah. And they're all going to be verbs. How'd you know? Oh, I went ahead and looked at it. Okay. There's verb one, verb two, verb three. Okay. And you also included, like, the Hebrew text. Yeah, the Hebrew text, okay? Uh, by the way, the reason why I think this is good too, also later on, even if you teach, like what Mr. Byrne is doing, right? Coordinating Bible studies with others teaching, even with our church. Uh, sometimes knowing the words help us, even as you're preaching when the verse comes upon it, it enriches your understanding, okay? So we're going to only look at three uh, verbs, okay? But then these verbs, we're going to look at different verses, okay? Uh, by the way, uh, let me say this up front. I am not good with Hebrew pronunciation. I'm the only guy in, in seminary, in my seminary classes, my classes that I took for Hebrew and Greek, uh, that anyone ever laughed at me in my pronunciation, okay? This is true for my Master Divinity and also for my Master's in Theology, my THM. So in both Master's, in what I think I spent equivalent of um, uh, uh, three years worth of Hebrew classes, uh, and then uh, four years worth of Greek classes, uh, people always manage to laugh, even from basic to even advanced, okay? That's just... So I want to clear that. I might not pronounce it right, okay? Hebrew verb number one we're going to be looking at. Uh, by the way, the reason why we're looking at it is so that we see sin biblically, and we also want to see the way God sees it. But even as we go on, I actually think this is also some of the things as we see the meaning. It also helps us even when we evangelize, okay? That when you do when you do explain someone's sin, you could see, okay, what the term originally mean in its non-moral use of the term, and then use that as an analogy, okay, that transcend all culture. As we look at this, you're going to see that when we see the word sin, the term that God uses to borrow from everyday life is going to be language that crosses all what? Culture, okay? So I actually think the best way to be contextualized, to preach every culture, is not to go away more from the Bible, but to actually go deeper into the Bible and find out what the term originally means. And then there's already a natural bridge to our culture today, okay? The first word is kata, okay? Kata. Kata. Okay. Uh, is the first word. So we're going to see the word. So with each one of these terms, we're going to see how it's used outside of moral discussion. Then going to see it's, uh, how it's used also as well in terms of talking about moral, spiritual 
sins, right? And then also draw application, okay? So all of this is meaning, but then remember, my point is not today to be academic bookworm. Is to see all this, and each one of them is going to have application, okay? Is there going to be application of each word? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the first word is kata, okay? Kata, I have the Hebrew word, but then also next to it is the English pronunciation, okay? Roughly, I don't know. Uh, this is what I uh, cut and paste, okay? Uh, kata, okay? So the first use of the word is, look, uh, in, in terms of its non-moral use, let's turn to Judges 20, verse 16. 20, verse 16. Judges 20, verse 16. Josh, wait real quick, okay? As we slowly turn to Judges 20, verse 16. Kata. Okay, Judges 20, verses 16. Josh, when you are ready, go ahead and read that verse. Out of all these people, 700 choice men were left-handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Okay, yeah, so you see this verse? It mentioned about they were trying to select warriors, okay? Yeah, yeah. Miss. You guys probably hear the term that you often say yeah, Missing the mark Yeah, missing the mark oh. uh, By the way, the, in the Greek, is also the same thing The word harmatia We're going to get to that when we get there But here is the term, you see the word miss, okay? The verb is translated miss And it's talking about, they're trying to select warriors They're going to go to war Remember Judges 19 was a horrific sin They're going to go to war The men of Israel, besides um, Benjamin in verse 17 Their number 400,000, okay? They could draw the sword These are all men of war So then they're going to narrow it down one of the ways they narrow it down is uh, part of that is verses 16. There's 600, 700 choice men who are left-handed, okay? Left-handed, okay? Judges has this thing about left-handed warriors. If you guys remember, there's one named Ehud, right? The man who's left-handed, right? I mean, that guy was a commando. He went in and you know what he did? I mean, he stabbed the guy. Yeah. Ben, what happened? Come on, don't spare the yeah. details. <laughs> yeah, he stabs her, right? Okay. Uh, I'm actually reading a book right now called SOG, which is, uh, for many years, is a classified group. It's actually made out of Navy SEALs and Army Green Braves. Mm. Um, they were, all the operatives were actually, had to sign an agreement for 20 years after the Vietnam War. They cannot talk about what they've done. Because they sneaked to fight uh, the, the communists um, that were hiding in Laos and Cambodia. And one of the stories they found, I mean, to me, to me it's like, wow, I'm actually pretty amazed with our capabilities. One of the things was they found out that, oh, some of the agents, they caught, like the Vietnamese they sent in, and then now these were made into double agents. But then they'll send in packages. But then once they knew that these guys were sending wrong information and the enemies caught them, they'll send these packages and say, oh, these are care packages for, for you guys to continue. But then they'll put what? Bombs, all kinds of things. So then they'll have a plane fly over and they'll take pictures like, oh, you know, you blew up those bad guys that capture the, the agents that are helping us. You know, they say, oh, this is food. And they open it first, or this is gold. For you guys to, and then they open it, never get to the people, and then bam, blows up all the bad guys. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you see this in the book of Judges, okay? Mm -hmm. Judges is the best way to see, I mean, the details, right? What you said is, yeah. is crazy, okay? So, these, how many left-handed warriors are there, according to this passage? 700. Mm -hmm. And they were left-handed, okay? Uh, by mm -hmm. the way, slings were made usually for who? Right-handed, okay? Mm -hmm. Just like even today, certain guns, uh, most of the, well, actually... The standard issue weapon, M16, is made for right-handed people, okay? Uh, so, I'm, you guys know I'm a left-handed guy, but I shoot always what? Right-handed, okay? It's out of habit, okay? Out of habit is right-handed. Everything else I grab always on my left, right? Except I, the other day when I got a new one, uh, I realized, oh, I still have the old way of muscle memory from what's hot. I still grab everything naturally by my right hand still, okay? So, here, these guys were left-handed, and they were shooting a stone. 
at a hair. What's the target? It was a piece of hair. And were they able to hit it? Yeah, that means they were pretty good. They did not miss, okay? But that term miss is actually used, okay? Uh, missing here is actually one of the terms that we see in its original use, okay? But now we're going to see it used in its moral context, okay? Turn with me now to Genesis 39, verse 9. Uh, Genesis 39. Uh, we will not be coming back to Judges. Uh, we're not going to come back to uh, Judges. We will turn to other books later, okay? Uh, when we turn there, uh, Ben Wartz, would you be able to read Genesis 39, verse 9? Genesis, what? Genesis 39, verse 9. Genesis 39, verse 9. Okay. Or you can look at the outline. Genesis 39, verse 9. Okay. First chapter in the Bible. All right, first book in the Bible. Obviously. Yeah. Okay, you guys know what's original context? What, this is about, yeah. yeah, Joseph, okay? Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's household, okay? Um, here in the context, Joseph is speaking, and he's speaking to Potiphar's wife. Uh, according to the context in verse 7, Joseph's master's wife wanted to seduce him, okay? Uh, basically, commit the sin of adultery. But in verses 8, Joseph turns down the advance of his master's wife. And in verses 9, the verse we've just read, he gives the reason, the rationale for why he would not. The first part, he begins by saying, hey, you know, my master has been good, so good to me. Why would I sin against him? Okay. Why would I uh, do something wrong against him? And then, but it's deeper. It gets theological in the second half of verse 9. Okay. The deeper one is, this would not only be wrong against Joseph's master, but Joseph says it is also a sin against who? He would also wrong against... God, okay? It says sin against God. That word sin against God is the same verb earlier, miss, okay? Now it's used with more dimension. So other verbs, we could also see there's many other. You guys look at the outline, but for the sake of time, we'll move on. Basically, the meaning of this is actually the idea for this word of sin is its literal usage has the idea adopted, has been adopted for spiritual and more dimension of life. It does has the idea of sin as missing God's moral mark, Okay? So it has the idea of missing God's moral mark. This is the most generic word for sin, okay? The most generic word for sin in the Old Testament is this term. But then we're going to look at other terms. It's going to overlap. A lot, some of these terms overlap. But then, at the, nevertheless, with each term, you're going to see a little bit more richer picture of just how bad sin is. Does that make sense? This is why it's important to look at that, okay? So in terms of application, do you see God's standard as defining what sin is, Okay. What sin is what? Basically, not according to our opinion, but it's always missing God's mark. Okay? Mm -hmm. This right now, earlier before, about uh, two hours ago, someone on Facebook, was in one of the apologetics group, was asking, what is sin? And this one guy thinks the idea of sin is based upon what uh, our human nature and evolution says over time. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but I was also making the point is this. Um, I asked him, do, so do you believe right and wrong is based upon what's in your mind? Right? He says, yes, it's based upon what my mind over time has evolved by chance with no God says, okay? But if that's the case, should you really listen to your mind saying this is wrong? Because he said, ultimately he even says right or wrong is subjective. But is there any problem with that? 
there's a problem with that. What is wrong when we say right and wrong is determined by us, individual, individual opinion? Josh? Mm. Is there anything wrong when we say right and wrong is based upon what we say? Yeah. Okay. What is something that's wrong with it? Everyone has different what? Opinions. Opinions. Okay. Framework, viewpoint. Yeah. You can't live with others in light of that. Everyone okay? has different okay? Also, the other thing is that if right or wrong is based upon what our brain says, and our brain is not the result of God programming into us, because He reject God programming into us, then that means everything happened in our mind by what? Chance. Does that make right, sense? Right. Okay. Then it's almost like, uh, how many of you guys would, uh, if you guys were to have a homework, and you're to, uh, and it's multiple choice homework, how many of you guys would play a game of spin the bottle to find out the letter, right? Let's just say you have A, B, C, D, and then you put down paper A, B, C, D, and you spin the bottle, and then whatever it is, you put it down. Is that, would you say you really know the answer, even though you have the right answer is C, and then you spin the bottle? Would you say you really know? No. Why? Why is that? Because as a result, your right answer is a result of what? Chance. Chance, okay? Randomness, okay? Non-intentionality, right? Or, or, or non-directional, uh, you know, it's not uh, directionally driven for that. It's non-rational. Also as well. Same thing also as well. We, as right or wrong, we need to see God's standard as defining what sin is by, based upon God's standard. Does that make sense? Second application. We don't want to miss God's mark of what is right and wrong. So do you seek God's word and His command as something you want to obey? Okay. Where is God's standard found in? I think part of it is intuition. God does built in within us natural the, uh, law that people generally have an idea. But our sinful nature, we could what? Corrupt that, right? Uh, for instance, we should know relationship marriage should be between a man and a what woman biologically etc okay but nevertheless sinful nature people could suppress that after all people could even say there's no such thing as right and wrong right. but then they would still say that's hey you're wrong to still believe there's such thing as right and wrong mm -hmm. which is a contradiction so you can't suppress it all the time but people can suppress right. it okay so in light of this we have to go to god's word okay which reveals in propositional that is stated form verbally stated form okay so let's, that's the first word, okay? That's the first word that we look at. Let's now go to the second word, okay? Second word, anyone want to pronounce that? <laughs> Just kidding, okay? Uh, the second Hebrew word is abar, okay? Abar, abar okay? Katar uh, and abar. Yeah, okay? Um, uh, or the other one's more ah, there's no R sound in the back, okay? Oh. Uh, or in the end, okay? So let's turn to looking at this term in its non-moral usage, okay? Let's turn to Genesis 32, verse 10. Genesis 32, verse 10. Uh, Mr. Byrne, would you be able to read Genesis 32, verse 10? faithfulness which thou hast shown thy servant for with my staff only I have crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies okay thank you so much in the context here uh, remember every time we read we must see in this context the one that's speaking here is actually Jacob you guys remember Jacob right. okay he has a brother does he not what's his brother's name you guys remember Jacob and Esau Esau okay uh, Jacob and Esau are they pretty competitive yeah, they are, yes. okay. Uh, who stole whose birthright? You guys remember? Jacob stole... Uh, Jacob stole from, from Esau. Esau. Or, for a soup. Yeah. Soup. Lentil soup. Yeah, lentil soup, okay. 
Uh, anyone here a big fan of lentil soup? <laughs> I, I like it, okay? But I don't know if it's, to me, when I taste every time I taste it, I just think, huh, was it really worth yeah, it? Yeah, okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, especially, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, especially when you see that, uh, you know, this is not the first time, you know, all the blessings through this lineage, Abraham's lineage, is a pretty good deal, okay, to, to betray that. So obviously, you know, Jacob is not fully, you know, there's questionable ethics with there, but at the same time, Esau is also questionable. He's already sold it, and then yet he says, it's still mine, that kind of thing, okay? So when you see here, um, this term, in Genesis 32, what happened is Jacob, you remember, he fled from his brother because he's afraid. Remember, he made himself, what, very hairy? Right. Okay. Right. Then he went over. Uh, I mean, he was tricking everyone. Then later on, he meets his, what, match, right. which is his father-in-law, Laban. Okay. Oh, so the trickster gets out-tricked by his father-in-law. Remember, he was going to marry who? Uh, Rachel. Rachel. And then yet, he was betrayed by giving Leah. Okay, and he's like, hey, why did you trick me? And if you read it, it would be incredibly ironic. Here's this man who's cheated, what, someone's birthright, and now here he is, someone else tricking him, okay? Um, so now he returns back. Uh, he leaves his father-in-law's land, and his father-in-law's land. Now he goes back, but he's afraid that, what, uh, his brother-in-law is going to be angry. So he sends uh, his servants, his animals first, and then eventually his wives, and eventually he's the last one. But when he meets Jacob, Correction, Jacob meets his uh, brother. He now talks to him, and they're actually reconciled, okay? In verses 10, the verb here, do you see the uh, verb cross? He crossed what? The Jordan River, okay? That verb cross is the same word that is used here that we're talking about, that is used for sin, okay? So this term here is actually crossing the Jordan what? River, okay? So this verb has the idea of physical movements, okay? Physical what? Movements, Okay. So, uh, so when he crossed the Jordan River, he went from what? One land to another what? Mm. Josh? He crossed one land? He crossed one land into another, another land. Okay, good. Okay. So it has the same idea also as well. The same verb appears not just here in verses 10, but if you look down with me in verses 22, verses 22, uh, Genesis 33, verses 22. Uh, Caleb, would you be able to read Genesis 33, verse 22? Genesis 33. Wait. Oh. Uh, I don't have a 22. Uh, Genesis uh, 32, I mean 22. 32. Genesis 32, verses 22. Okay. Oh, just 32. Okay. Now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Yeah, okay. This is after he's reconciled. Did he trust his brother? No. So what does he do? He leaves again. And then he crosses what? The Jordan River. So this term you see here is referring to what? Physical what? Movement in its original context. Okay? But now it's going to use in the moral dimension. I think that uh, an example of this, a good one, is actually in Joshua 7.15. Okay? Turn with me to Joshua 7.15. Joshua 7.15. So uh, let me ask you guys again as a quiz. What does that term mean in a non-moral term? Non-moral usage to cross. cross, okay? Yeah, cross a river or cross another land, okay? Now we're going to see it used in a moral context, okay? That is talking about wrongdoing. Uh, Joshua 7.15, Joshua Chen, could you read that? It shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire he and all that belong to him because he has transgressed the covenant of Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. 
Yeah, okay. In the context here, uh, Joshua 7, if you know your Bible, Joshua 7 tells us about whose sin. A man named Achan, okay? Okay. Uh, everything up to Joshua, I mean, is they've, uh, if you remember, this is the second generation that fled from Egypt. The first generation did not go into the promised land because of their sin and unbelief. Mm-hmm. Now in the second generation, God fulfills His promise, allows them to go to the promised land. I mean, if you read Joshua, at least for me, when I first read it, First time as a young believer, it was like, it was like wow, finally Israel is getting things right, right? I, I remember as a young Christian reading Genesis, like, wow, man, these patriarchs, why are they an example? They're filled with so many sins. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's once in a while uh, an example, right, um, of someone godly. But then you see Israel's sin, even Moses' sin, right? And then now you're like hopeful, like, wow, finally God's helping. They're entering the promise that everything went well. And then suddenly there's chapter 7. There's a sin of Achan, Okay. In the context, Achan sinned. You guys remember how he sinned? Joshua, do you know how he sinned? Mm, he hid something. Yeah, he hid something. Uh, what is that something he hid? Valuable yeah. things that God says what? We must, they must destroy, destroy okay? Mm. Uh, you can see this in verses 20 to 21, okay? 20 to 21. Uh, 20 to 21. Uh, Caleb, would you be able to read Joshua 7, verses 20 to 21? So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath them. So notice he what? Confesses. And by the way, his details and confession is pretty particular, right? This should also remind us that when we confess, we need to be very specific with God, right? Sometimes we could think like, oh, you know, I'm sorry for that mistake. But now he's spelling everything out, right? There's the mantar from Shinar, which is modern-day Babylon, or, 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 or later became Babylon or modern-day Iraq. And he even specified how much gold, right? 200 shekels, how many bars of gold was 50 shekels in weight, right? And then he says what he did with it. So this is his sin. So then when you look with me at verses 15, look at verses 15. This is before his confession. God basically says in verses 15 that, hey, there is a sin, okay? And this sin is, uh, the first half of verses 15, what we read earlier, tells us that this sin will have a punishment, okay? What is the punishment in verses 15 according to the first half? They deserve to be what? The person is burned with fire, okay? He and all that belongs to him. Like, wow. Sin has what? Consequences, okay? Then you see the second half of the verse gives us the reason. The second half of the verse gives us what? The reason, okay? And in the second half it says, Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has committed this graceful thing in Israel. Do you see the Hebrew verb? What does it say? What does that verb use to describe sin in the second half of the verse? Begins with a T. What is that word? Truth. Not truth. Look at your verse. T R. Transgress. Transgress. Okay. So transgress is the same verb that is used earlier for crossing. Okay. So transgress here is used now in a moral context. Okay. But what is it that's being transgressed? The. The word of God. Yeah, the word of God. Specifically, what does he call it? The covenant of the. Lord, okay. And by the way, this uh, uh, crossing is not as if like, oh, you accidentally cross over. But notice it parallels the other line by saying it is a disgrace. Okay? So now there's a more dimension, okay? Uh, here we see the verb, a Hebrew verb is translated transgress when it says transgress 
uh, in the covenant of the Lord. Okay. Uh, many times this verb is used to describe very heavy sin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very heavy sin. Turn with me real quick to Numbers, fourteen forty one. So you'll see a mention of high-handed sin, and often this verb is right there associated with that, okay, with high-handed sin. Numbers 14, verses 41. Numbers 14. Numbers 14, 40, uh, Mr. Byrne, would you be able to read Numbers 14, uh, 41, uh, verses 41? Again, let me say it again, Number four, Numbers 14, verses 41. Moses said, why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Okay, yeah, so these are what? The sins with people, okay? Um, and, and there are people's rebelling against what? God. You shouldn't rebel against God, right? Actively rebelling, intentional rebellion. And yet this verse is used here. Joshua, would you be able to read Joshua twenty three sixteen? Wait, I already turned to number. Uh, Joshua. Yeah, we're going to turn to the next one. Is Joshua twenty three sixteen now. I mean, Joshua twenty three sixteen. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which He has given. Okay, so here this is Joshua speaking. He's about to, you know, he's getting older. Uh, and yet he says what? What is their sin that's mentioned here? The specific name of the sin is called I what? Idolatry, okay? They serve other gods, right? And God will be angry with you. And he, he even says, hey, you will perish, okay? But when it says here transgress, here it is referred to that same term for sin, right? Okay, so let's talk about the meaning. If you guys are following me with the outline, okay, this is under part two. Um, the meaning of the term is, remember it's this non-moral, original meaning of the word is what? Crossing a, what? A river, crossing a land, okay? Or boundary, yeah, okay? Um, you know, you go to another country, you cross another area or region, or, or crossing a river, okay? So now when it's used in a spiritual sense, in a, in a, in a moral sense, the idea is also crossing boundary of what is right, and now you're entering in the land of wrong, okay? So it's almost the same thing, okay? I think maybe the analogy, I, 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 even when I was doing this, I was thinking about, there's one place in the world you really don't want to cross as a boundary. Actually, there's many places. But if, I think in my mind, say, if there's one area in the world I would never want to cross over, where it's crossing over is the big news around the world, is actually in Korea. Right. What is that area called? The DMZ. 49th yeah, the 49th parallel, right? 40, the, 49th, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. The demilitarized zone. Yeah, the demilitarized zone, okay? The place with all the mines. You yeah, all the mines, it, okay. You go bye-bye. Yeah, it's the world's most what, heavily fortified area, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys ever see the pictures of like, uh, even the places where uh, they agree to not have weapons? Uh, all sides put what? Their most physically <laughs> strong soldiers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll probably find the tallest Koreans there from North Korea. And from South Korea, okay. You know what I'm talking about where they're, they're there, they're dressed, uh, but then there, even if there's no weapon, what happened? They're like in judo stance. You know what I'm talking about? Where they're standing there, right? Even the American soldiers are really, really what? Big, stand, uh, over there, okay. It's a pretty crazy area, okay. You, do you guys remember a few years ago? You guys saw someone escape. Do you guys, uh, you guys saw the video before? Yeah. Yeah, there was a that. North Korean soldier that drove a vehicle, escape, and then everyone else is running, uh, the North Korean side, and then it's like really tense, right? Um, and it's just like really crazy. 
And then they had to. Was there a sniper fire? I remember seeing. I don't remember. Uh, I think he got hit. Yeah, I think uh, one of the soldiers shot him, and then he was injured, and he was laying there, and then even uh, like two uh, South Korean soldiers had to risk their life to crawl to pull him away. Well, I mean, it's just crazy, okay? So sin is like that. It's like crossing from an area that is safe into where? An area that is not safe at all, okay? It is not safe at all, okay? So it's a very vivid imagery of what? Of sin, okay? Uh, you don't want to cross from the land of righteousness into the land of what? Wrong or evil, okay? So it's application. Do you realize when we sin, what we're actually doing is we're overstepping into selfishness, okay? Every time we sin, Physically, if we could draw an analogy, is we're overstepping our boundary of God's law into the area of what? Selfishness, okay? Because uh, the selfishness uh, oftentimes is the root that drives us to what? To sin, okay? So we need to realize that, okay? I don't know about you, but at least for me, looking at this, this is actually very helpful to picture uh, conceptually, right? What is sin? Does that make sense? Anyone here find this helpful also as well? Hopefully so, okay? Second application question, do you realize what we, uh, realize we are going beyond God's word when we sin and have violated His boundaries for us, okay? So how do we know the boundaries from sin and non-sin is where? Found in where? God's temptation. word, okay? Yeah. And by the way, this also means that when we fight temptation, right, you want to be away as far away as what? Possible, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, for Korea, it's not as dramatic as before, but the DMZ for the first three decades it was very scary for soldiers. No soldiers guard alone. You know why? It's because North Korea would sometimes snatch one of the soldiers, okay? So if you ever see, like, even when they open the door, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, you guys could Google this. When they open the door, when because there's that one room they agree, like, you know, this certain hours is our time, certain hours is your time. And then when the soldiers open it, you'll see that one of the soldiers are grabbing the belt, and then like another soldier grabbing another belt. So if, in case they snatch one of the soldiers, what all these soldiers are pull, trying to pull them back, okay? Which is pretty crazy, okay? Yes. So the way we fight sin is we want to be as far as away from the edge as what possible, okay? As far away from the edge as much as possible, okay? So we see here, uh, in the same way, w- do you realize when, we, we, when we, are, we are going beyond God's law when we sin and violate the boundaries He gives us? And the boundaries is given clearly in what? His book, okay? Um, uh, third application, we need to realize that when we sin, it means leaving where it is spiritually safe and we're not entering into a forbidden and dangerous land. I think we need to emphasize that too. When we sin, it's not just only we go against God's law, but it's actually we're going to an area that is not safe, okay? Yeah. You guys know in Proverbs, I love it in the King James, how it says, the way of a transgressor is what? Hard, right. okay? That there's consequences, mm-hmm. natural consequences of that, okay? Mm-hmm. And the way of a sinner is hard. That the natural consequence of sin is what? It's not going to be satisfying, ultimately, in the long run. Mm-hmm. It's also even what? Dangerous. You're playing with fire. Does that make sense? Okay? Uh, so that's mm-hmm. another application to realize from knowing the richness of the term. So again, I hope you guys realize why we're looking at this is not because we just want to hit on sin. We do need to because God's answer. But if you notice the imagery, it becomes relatable in every culture, I think, no matter where you're at. Okay, let's go to the third term. The third term we're looking at. Uh, anyone want to pronounce this? Josh, you want to give it a try? Uh, the third term. Ta. Okay. Ta, Okay. The third term is ta. They kind of sound roughly all the same, okay? Now let's look at Exodus 23, verse 4. Let's turn to Exodus 23, verse 4. Uh, ben Wartz, would you be interested in reading Exodus 23, verse 4? Uh, we're going to see it's non-moral use of the term first before we look at the moral 
you would take a turn. I say four. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. Okay. What does this verb say we're to do before I expound? Anyone want to take uh, take it on? Uh, what is this verb telling us? Oh, verse telling us here. To do the right thing, not steal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually stipulating what does it mean in specific detail. We already know of 14 chapters earlier in Exodus 20. One of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not what? Steal. steal. Now it's giving specific stipulation, concrete example in various scenarios, case laws of what it means, it looks like. That means you should not take what? Someone's donkey or their ox, okay? And if you, yeah. So it's, yeah. So here it shows that it's not finders, what? Keepers. Losers, what? Reapers, okay? In the Marines, I love how in the Marines, they always say, or in boot camp, I remember they were teaching us, the drone instructors, like, Marine must have honor. No Marine should ever steal. Marine does not lie, cheat, or steal. Mm. But then when you're in boot camp, because the drone instructors, what they do a lot of times is punishment, is they always, uh, I always feel like when I was in Marine boot camp, uh, it was okay when they punished us physically. Push-ups, oh, you get strong, right? And it's not that bad. My weight is, you know, proportion-wise. Uh, you know, pulling out, it's okay. But the part I always had a moral sinking or, or really demoralized me is when they tell us to, like, empty your footlocker and empty it, and then the drone instructor, you know what they do? They'll say, oh, there's a tornado, and then they'll kick it all around, okay? Mm. Which to me is okay, until they say, oh, you know what? Get your hygiene bag, hygiene kit. Your hygiene kit has what? Your toothpaste, your soap, uh. your shampoo. And then they say, oh, empty it all, and then they kick it all. And they say, oh, go find it. Go find your own. And it's always demoralizing to count down 60 seconds. 60, 59, 48, 47, 30, 29, 10, 5, and then boom, you're done. Oh, what does that even, what, <laughs> one minute. And they're like, how could you not get everything already? I give you one minute. Mm. And you can't argue that they're wrong, right? And then they say, okay, let's do it all over again. Let's dump it all over again. Let's all kick everything in the middle. And they're kicking it and everything else, right? And they're st stepping all over it. You know, boom. Uh, what do you call it? Toothbrush. What do you call it? Uh, toothpaste is squirting everywhere. Mm. And they say, let's give you, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to give you two minutes. And then they start 120, 160, 150. And then there's a, what? It's even shorter. And they say, what's wrong with you guys? I give you two minutes and you can't, can't even, do you, are you taking advantage of my grace? And you're like, oh. And then they do it again. And then at that time, you don't care. You're not looking for it because everyone's grabbing what? All their own, right? And, and it sinks because now I'm brushing my teeth with what? <laughs> someone else's toothbrush. Mm. I'm using someone else's soap. I say, oh, man, okay? So going back on with this, this term here, okay? Uh, when it says here, you shall return everything to himself. The Marines will always say, hey, no one ever lie, cheat, or steal. But a Marine, is, there's only one thief and everyone else is trying to get their stuff back. That's what they often joke around, okay? But in this verse it says, right, it is not a rule. What finders what? Keepers. And losers what? Reapers, okay? Here, here we see we must return it. And we must return it even if what? The animals belong to who? Our enemy, okay? You can say, oh, I don't like him, therefore I could keep it, right? When you see the term wandering, you know, it says the ox or oh, donkey wandering. This is a term that we see here today. Uh, for the third part, right? The word ta. So in its original meaning, a non-moral meaning, what does it mean? No, its basic meaning means what? Wand what? Wandering. Wandering, right? Just like what? An ox or donkey that's lost and it's what? Just going about. Wandering what? Around, okay? So we're going to see it used in another way. Uh, is, uh, in another non-moral use, it's Job 12 verse 25. Let's turn to Job 12 verse 25. Uh, Caleb, would you be able to read that out loud? Job 12, verses 25. 
Job 12, verse 25. They grope in darkness with no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Okay, yeah. So here, this the term is also used. The same verb here is now used as stagger, but it's described in the context. Job is by the way speaking to his friend about how powerful God is, mm-hmm. and God is saying, "What he's saying is God is so powerful, man. He makes the nation shake." And also, by the way, uh, you know, without him revealing himself, they're like in darkness, and also they are just drunken. In other words, God mm-hmm. is holding everyone together. If it wasn't for God, we can't even walk upright. Mm. We will walk, as he says, like a drunkard man, staggering. Mm. So the same verb is also used here, the idea of staggering, okay? So it's not just wandering, as if you're wandering, wander, uh, going from place to place. But even when you're wandering, you're like walking like what? Someone that is impaired. Someone that is drunk, in another word, okay? So what does this term mean before we talk about sin? What does this ter- term mean before outside of that? Wandering and what else? Staggering, like not walking rightly. Does right. that make sense? Okay. Right. Like you're, you're walking like a drunken man. So now we're going to see the moral use. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 58, verse 3. Psalm 58, verse 3. Uh, Mr. Byrne, would you be able to read Psalm 58, verse 3? The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. Yeah. So here, uh, the, that same verb is now used and is translated go astray. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, go astray. Okay? So when it says go astray, you're wandering around what? Mm-hmm. Morally away from God's path. Okay? Uh, notice it says here those who are liars. So it's definitely moral sense because it's saying mm-hmm. mo- moral people, immoral people, those people that lie, they're gone astray from where? Since their very birth, which I think already indicate the doctrine of original sin. You guys know what I mean by original sin? Right, right. Everyone is already born sinful. Right. Um, there's some people that don't like the idea of original sin, but I actually think it's one of the most empirically verifiable Christian yeah. doctrine, right? You know? so yeah, yeah. I remember a few years ago, I was evangelizing at um, PCC, and this one guy came up to me and says, Man, I don't like Christianity. I go to church before my parents were, and it's all so negative, talking about sin, sin, sin. Why can't we just be like little kids? Like little kids, you ever see them? They get along with everyone. No, and don't. I was like, yeah, no, they don't. No, they don't. I, 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 and I was thinking like, then I finally asked the guy, like, you know, he's pretty young. I was like, do you, have any, uh, do you have any siblings that are young? He's like, no, I'm the only child. Oh, do you, do you have any kids of your own? He says, no. <laughs> and I was thinking, huh. That's interesting, because I told him, like, I've never taught my kids how to lie, okay? Right. I've never taught them how to steal, okay? I never sat down with my kids and said, step one is do this to steal. Step two is this, okay? But yet they're all capable of what? Yeah. Doing all that, right? I never taught my kids to say, hey, this is how you argue and not be nice. This is how you can be equally venomous. And they're capable of what? Doing all of that, right? Yeah. Where they're bickering among one another, okay? Which shows we're sinful from what? From birth, yes. okay? From birth. So here, this verse is emphasizing that we're sinful from birth, okay? Because the, second, the first line also says that wicked are estranged from the womb, okay? So this verse validated the teaching of original sin, but it also teaches that we turn our way. So we're leaving away from God, right? Remember the original term? It's like we're wandering away from God's path. But it's not we're just wandering, but there's also something wrong within us. We're like drunkenness, okay? We're strained here, the idea here. is the idea is two things. We're leaving God's path. We're supposed to walk, but inside there's something wrong with us, right? We're not walking right. We're walking like someone that is what? Drunk. Does that make sense? There's something 
wrong with us. So in terms of meaning summarizing, it's very clear that the passage outside of talking about sin is about wandering as seen from those previous passages, okay? From its root meaning and how it's adopted for spiritual and moral dimension of life, it, it means the idea of going away from God, moral and spiritual path, okay? It means leaving what God's moral and spiritual path, okay? The term also refers to serious sin. Uh, but that sin is sometimes intentional or unintentional, okay? So this term co- covers sins where you're purposely doing it and those that are unintentional, okay? By the way, some s- sins that are unintentional, we're still culpable. That we're still responsible because what? God has given us what? His laws. Right. We should know it. Like for instance, when you're driving and you over you drive pretty fast and the police pulls you over and you, the police, and you cannot tell the officer, oh, officer, I did not know and pass the limit because you should... Whose responsibility is it to find out the, uh, the speed limit? Right. It should be you. Yeah, right. you should be. It should be your responsibility. You can't say, "Oh, you know what? The person sitting next to me, they didn't tell me. Oh, my mom and dad never told me this area of the freeway." No, your responsibility is even if you don't know, you should find out. Does that make sense? Yes. So there's something that's uh, you know there's culpable uh, ignorance and non-culpable. For instance, uh, I might not know the name of someone if I'm in the bus. Of the person that's sitting next to me. If I don't know, hey, I'm not guilty of that. I can't be held accountable. But if there is someone in my household and I say, I don't know the name of my own daughters and kids, is there something wrong with that picture? Yeah, yeah there's now culpable ignorance. Mm-hmm. I should know because I love them. I should find out mm-hmm. who they are, okay? So going back on with this, um, so there's intentional and unintentional sin, okay? Um, but yet this one it captures all. Now, in covering all this, it could be kind of hopeless because we're so focusing this hour talking about sin. And this is where we want to end by grace. This term, actually, uh, this word that we're looking at actually gives us grace because in one of the Old Testament usage, it actually gives us grace, points to the grace in the gospel. Mm. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6. When we turn there, Josh, in big boy voice, could you read Isaiah 53, verse 6? All of us are like like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Yeah. He has oppressed. Okay, who's that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, This is a messianic prophecy about who? Jesus Christ. Okay. If you ever need to memorize one Old Testament book when you ever witness to someone is Isaiah 53 written 700 years plus before Christ was ever born it has already predicted the death of who? Jesus Christ not only predict the death of Jesus Christ but also its meaning and its significance okay do you see the verb here all of us like sheep has gone astray can you see that the verb gone astray is the same verb we've looked at earlier this whole time right the idea of wandering away Okay, and we're not just wandering as if we are, uh, but something wrong with us. Our moral GPS is off, and we're also wandering away like a drunkard. Does that make sense? Okay, and it says it says all of us, and it calls us we're like sheep, and just like sheep, they easily what, wander away. Okay, easily wander away. Okay, so how are we like sheep? We've gone astray. Okay, gone astray. Here it, it explains further. Each one has turned to his own way. That is what we're not going on God's path. But because of our selfishness, we're now, what? Breaking His ways, breaking His law, and we are sinning, okay? The root of all sin is really our selfishness, whether manifesting in pride 
or what? Self-pleasure also as well, okay? Here it says that all of us have sinned, but you see there's verse of hope. In the, set, in the last line it says, The Lord has caused the iniquities of us all. That is all our spiritual wandering away from God. Who took that punishment? Jesus Christ. Okay. The Messiah. The Messiah. Is that an incredible hope and grace? Yeah. yeah. In talking about how bad the sin is, the ter- same word for sin, yet in the same verse here, mm. we see the hope that mm. Christ has took on the sin of us all. So as application, given sin is described as even wandering away, do you ask yourself, are you drifting away from God? Mm. By the way, it's easy to sin. All you need to do is don't pay fo- attention and focus on God. Mm. You're already wandering away from Him. Mm. Okay. How do you guys ever have this? You think you're okay with God, but you haven't read the Bible in a while? But as soon as you read, you're like, wow, I've drifted so far away from God. Okay? And we didn't even notice that. Okay? So it's easy to sin. All it is is by drifting away from God as our focus, we're already sinning. We're already putting something else as a bigger focus. We're already making idols. Even if that idol in itself is not a sin in of itself. Does that make sense? So not focusing on God means we're already wandering. It is easy to sin. Okay? Second application question also. We must know that whenever we drift away from focusing on God, we are already away, uh, sinning already and can sin in other unintentional way. Okay? Sometimes we sin unintentionally. Why it's still a sin? It's because what? It's because we're no longer focusing on God. So we must repent. And biblical repentance means what? Not doing what is right first, but it's actually turning back to who first? To God. Okay? Right. Biblical repentance is not penance. Penance means when you realize something's wrong, oh, I'm going to cancel out what I've done wrong by merits and points. By doing good things. That's penance. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you realize it's wrong, you turn to God first. And the first thing you need to re- confess. And then secondly, say, because you confess, you love God of His grace, then you what? Go ahead and fight sin and do what is right action. Okay? So do you also see the hope we have in Christ who takes away the sin in the world? Okay? Thus summarizing everything today, what we've seen is sin has the idea of uh, missing God's standard. Okay? Sin also means the idea of crossing the boundaries of what is right. Sin also, from the three terms we've seen, is also, sin means we're entering into a dangerous area of our life, okay? Mm-hmm. Sin also has the idea of wandering away from God's path and also wandering from God Himself. But yet in all of these, look, what we've seen from these three terms is we see that God gives hope of the Messiah that will redeem us and save us from our own sins. Mm-hmm. And the question is today is, have we trusted in Him? Mm-hmm. And when we have trusted Him, do we appreciate Him a little bit more richer appreciation in light of the study of sin. Let's close in a word of prayer.